Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandrove, the podcast for wine fanatics who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, we introduce you to a prominent woman and take a peek into her life and, of course, her favorite wines. Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandreau, and I'm talking with Molly Hill, who is featured in Wine Country Women of Napa Valley. Molly is a winemaker, a wife, and mother. Molly, thank you for being with us today. It's a pleasure. So let's get started. Let's talk about your career. Do you remember your first paying job? Well, if I'm completely honest, my first paying job was as a babysitter. Um, okay, professional paying professional. job. Professional. <laughs> well, I'd been, but the, moving up to professional, I guess, Wetzel's Pretzels in the mall, maybe not super professional, but my first paying job. And then pretty quickly started in the wine industry when I was 19. So what was that turning point in your career where you knew you wanted to be a winemaker? I talked to a family friend that was studying viticulture and enology at UC Davis. And she told me that winemaking is really hard work. There's a lot of cleaning involved. It's not for everyone. And I said, sounds amazing. Sign me up. And I thought about it and thought wine, travel, great food, living in a beautiful place, art, science, all things, yes. And so I changed my major at UC Davis to study viticulture and enology. So what were you before? What was your major? I was a biology major. Okay. And uh, I was in large classrooms with many pre-med students that were wanting and thinking their lives were over because they got a C in introductory biology. And uh, I thought there had to be more to school, to life than that. And when I changed to the viticulture and enology department, Everyone was incredibly smart, so I felt extremely intimidated, but I was also invited to three or four parties that very week, so um, definitely much more of a social social crowd, but very, very smart. Um, I still feel intimidated thinking about some of those people that I went to school with because um, very smart people. Do you see any of those people today? I just saw someone that came by today, actually. I hadn't seen him in probably 15 years, but the wine industry is very small and very close-knit, so I'm very lucky that several winemakers in Napa Valley I went to school with. Some of them are still my closest friends, and since it is a small major, it is very close-knit, so you know, even people across the country, across the world, you can pick up the phone and ask them questions. And, you know, wine is a real unifying industry. So usually people are very generous to share knowledge and camaraderie. So how did you land here at Sequoia Grove? What was your big break in your career? Um, I just felt very lucky So I was very lucky back in 2003. Actually, it started in 99 when I started my first job in the wine industry. I was working as an intern at Behringer. And 
back then, it's similar to now. It's very hard to find housing in Napa Valley. And I told my parents that I had gotten this job as this intern in Napa Valley, and now next thing I need to do is find a place to live. And my parents said, hmm, I think we know someone that lives in Napa Valley. And it happened to be Herb and Jennifer Lamb, who lived five minutes up the road from Behringer. They took me under their wing. Um, They are the most generous, most in love with life, most connected to everybody, knew, knew everybody in the Valley people that I could have ended up with, very generous, gracious hosts. And they introduced me to my, actually I asked them, I'm looking to get a full-time job in the industry. Where do you think I should apply? And they told me, don't apply there, don't apply there, don't apply there, don't apply there. Why don't you get a job with our winemaker who's looking for an assistant winemaker? And I interviewed with him. And he hired me on the spot, which was very gracious of him. And that sounded amazing to get a job offer right away. But when you're young, you don't, you're maybe worried that, you know, let me see what else is out there. So I said, that's great. I will give you a year, which seemed like a long time at the time when I was 22 years old. Um, But he actually later told me that that was very humorous to him. And it is additionally humorous now on hindsight because I've been at Sequoia Grove 16 harvests. Um, Just completed my 16th harvest. Wow. One year wasn't enough. You fell in love with it. So what do you like most about being here at Sequoia Grove? I'm, again, I'm very blessed to be here at Sequoia Grove. Our values are integrity and quality with everything that we do. And I really feel that that's what's kept me here as a winemaker because we're very fortunate that we have amazing estate vineyards, amazing vineyard sourcing due to our many years in the valley and the amazing support of our owners that anything that is going to make the wine improve in wine quality, we have the backing to invest in order to do that. And it's a very, in winemaking, it's a longer term vision. Um, So you have to stick with the path. And our owners are very supportive of over multiple years continuing to invest in quality every single year. We actually spoke about this a few minutes ago before we started our interview. You mentioned that you make 19 different wines here, but only two are distributed throughout the country. What are some of your favorites in your portfolio? I know they're probably all favorites, (laughs) but are there a few that stand out that you're especially proud of? Again, I feel very fortunate that Sequoia Grove is located in Rutherford. And Rutherford, I can go into why, but it is the best place to grow Cabernet Sauvignon in the world. So much of what we produce are single vineyard Cabernets. And again, it's a cliche, but it's true. They each have their own personalities. And exploring those personalities and kind of uncovering what those wines are meant to be. I describe it like unwrapping an onion so maybe onion and wine are not the tastiest metaphor but winemaking I think is more like removing the layers of an onion more than it is to get to what is the center of 
the essence of the wine more so than it is kind of making a wine or imposing your vision upon a blend or a wine. How many of the wines are single vineyard cabs? We probably produce at least four or five single vineyard cabs a year. Um, We just started producing a single vineyard Cabernet Franc, which Mm -hmm. is pretty exciting. Okay. Um, So the bulk of what we produce are um, Bordeaux wines, so red Bordeaux wines. So the the four... Cabernets that are single vineyards, are all those vineyards in Rutherford or are they spread out? Are there some vineyards that we might be familiar with? Can mm-hmm. you speak of that? So the the wines that we bottle under our vineyard series change every year. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things that is very enjoyable about working here is any a vineyard has the potential to rise to a vineyard designate level wine because even the very best vineyards in in the valley that's generally why they tend to be the best vineyards because they deliver phenomenal quality year after year after year but they have their ups and downs or you know issues that happen on those particular sites that they, they may not be the best compared to the other best that we've brought in um, so I think that makes it a quality at the very end. Um, so we probably have 15 different vineyards that we source from of Cabernet Sauvignon. So it could be any one of 15 different wines. Okay. Um, but usually it's for sure one from our state vineyard in Rutherford called Tanella. Okay. It's about a mile east of the winery here in Rutherford. So let's get back to your career. What is it about winemaking that keeps you going, keeps you inspired, keeps you um, engaged in making wine? Every year is different, Mm -hmm. and it's something that winemakers have touched on, and I think as you get older and you do more vintages, you think about it more, that you think of anything that you've gotten good at in your life, and you think about how many times you've repeatedly done that task, whether it's making a dish or you know, anything that you are, have a highly skilled at and you think how many times it takes to get good at that. And then you think about winemaking. And if you're lucky, you maybe get 30 or 40 chances to make wine in a, from a given site in a given year. And that's not a lot. So I think keeping that in the back of your mind, that it, it gives a finality to what we're doing, that, that there's not that many chances to get really good at what we're doing. It kind of raises the bar pretty high that every year we have to be performing at a pretty high level. So that's pretty exciting to me. And then the passionate people that continue to come to the Valley and come to the industry, I think that keeps me excited. We have a new assistant winemaker and she's very passionate, very motivated. And that, you know, that keeps you excited and and learning with her and sharing what you've learned as well. Want more on today's interview? Purchase Wine Country Women of Napa Valley. It's available on our website at winecountrywomen.com. Is there a top moment in your career that you can share? I'm hoping I haven't gotten to the top moment, but um, we did. Well, so far. Yeah, so far. So we just completed our new um, winery remodel. So that's pretty exciting. We just finished our first harvest in the winery remodel. 
Um, we just got top 100 wine from Wine Spectator. Oh, awesome. For our 2015 Napa Cab. But, you know, I hope that as a team we can accomplish even more. We have a goal. I'm going to say it out there. We have a goal of 100 points for our team. So fully confident we can get there. But I'm a goal-oriented person. I like goals and hopefully being in your book, I would say, that was a highlight. So it's fun. We, we have a lot of fun and we're very blessed, but I hope to keep keep having highlights. You're goal-oriented, so you've got to have highlight goals ahead of you to go after. Is there someone who has influenced your career, living or not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've thought about this a little bit. So my great aunt was very, looking in hindsight, was very influential in my career. She liked to travel and she was very generous in that she liked to travel at a very high level and my family's vacations were not at a high level, I guess you could say. So we were more like camping and um, more nature-oriented vacations. So she did take me on a trip to Salt Spring Island and I got to have a multi-course meal when I was relatively young. I had never experienced that before. wasn't old enough to drink, but um, the flavors with the courses and the luxuriousness of sitting at a table for that long a period of time, in hindsight, and that they have a farm. I mean, in hindsight, I would say that that really influenced me because I had never been exposed to that before. And that was very, when I was relatively young, then I was very lucky to have Mike Trujillo as a mentor for quite a few years. I started at Sequoia Grove relatively early on. He taught me um, much of the practical side of winemaking. So we worked together for 15 years and he's a great winemaker and a great mentor. And then I also observed people, whether they knew they were my, they're my mentor or not, I, you know, I like to observe people and understand their motivations and why they're doing the things that they're doing and try to figure out and unlock, um, you know, the wine industry to see how the inner workings work. So, um, you know, the Napa Valley is definitely a mentor as a whole. Best advice that you could give someone who says, and I'm sure you've heard this question once or twice, I want to get into the wine business. Mm-hmm. What advice do you give them? Yeah, I think I was very lucky. Um, I think it can be hard to get into the industry. Or uh, make wine. Yeah. I want to make wine. I think it's hard when you're young, and I think it's a youth perspective to you know, I want a job, I want this, I want that, and to have more of a what are you going to do for me. But I think as I get older, it's more like what can I do for Napa Valley? And so I think if you are able to, as a young person, have that mentality going in because the Napa Valley needs people of that mentality, um, I think that your path will lead you to a very successful direction um and so that's my advice at the moment okay well let's talk about you now where are you from originally 
I'm from Southern California. I'm from Santa Barbara, a little town south of Santa Barbara called Summerland. Okay, so you're a California girl. Mm-hmm. So all you did was come north. to make some wine go to school and make some wine so how did you pick calistoga i think you live in calistoga Mm -hmm. yep how did you out of all the little towns here in napa valley how did you choose calistoga as the place to to put down your your roots let's see what story so i like i said i started working in napa valley when i was 19 and Herb and Jennifer were very gracious and generous, took me to Calistoga, and I immediately loved the town. I thought um, it was had a lot of heart and soul, um, and I loved hiking. I can walk out my door and hike out of my door, um, so that was very important to me. Being from Santa Barbara, we have an amazing network of trails down there, and you take a lot of where you grew up for granted, and you think that that's the way it is everywhere. Um, so there are a, f- a fair number of hiking trails in Napa Valley, um, but not as many as I was used to. So it was important to me to be able to access nature very quickly whenever I wanted to. So Calistoga was the easiest place to do so. To do that. Tell us about your home. What, how would you describe your home to our listeners? What's your style? Um, this is funny. I'm glad my husband's not listening. <laughs> right here. Um, so again, I've been very um, fortunate in my life. Um, my dad really wanted to. He loved my dad loves projects and construction. So we actually built a house in Calistoga. Um, it was a green house at the time and then um, moved out of that new house and into an old house built in 1948. Um, it's a mid-century modern house that has not been touched since 1948. Oh, wow. Um, which is, yeah, wow and good. And I love all of the... Um, character. The, the character of it. But my husband says, but we need to do something. It needs so, some TLC. Needs some TLC. So it can, I mean, it's been 75 years. It needs to last for another 75 years, but it gives me a lot of anxiety because I love the old vintage fixtures and the old character. So it's going to take some time and some thought to do it justice. So right now we're just saving, <laughs> saving so, money. So I want to make sure I understand this correctly. You were in a green home that you mm-hmm. built and then you went to an an old older home yes okay across the street okay across the street (laughs) well that's an interesting story I'm sure there's more to the story but um but I love old homes too because they do have all that charm and character and you're right it takes time to fix it up and you want to you want to make sure that you do it properly Mm -hmm. right and I'm not sure how much time you have to devote to that because you're so busy making wine not a lot of time no (laughs) and hiking right and you have a family right so curious to know what's one of the most meaningful trips that you've taken I've been lucky to have a lot of meaningful trips I love going to places that are not touristy um so I've traveled through Mexico a fair amount my husband and I went to Cambodia that was really, um, it was more touristy than I realized, but um, very, very eye-opening and a wonderful, incredible um, part of the world. 
Did I answer the question? I can't remember. <laughs> well, it was the most meaningful trip. Yeah. I mean, everything in travel, I think you learn something. So they're all very impactful to your life and meaningful. Is there something that people might get wrong about you? A misconception that they have about you? I have no idea. <laughs> I need to ask people more. <laughs> I know. I'm throwing you for a loop. I'm so sorry. I just thought. I know. We'll just, we'll just, we'll I'll just come back ask. to you on that one. Yeah. How about this? Um, you're a winemaker. You work at Sequoia Grove. Other than Sequoia Grove wine, what do you drink at home? Well, my husband has his own label. So oh, okay. um, usually we're drinking open bottle that he's taken out to sell. There you go. <laughs> so it's called Grow Wines. And what bridal is it? We do a, um, my husband does um, a single vineyard Chardonnay, a single vineyard Cabernet, and then we're about to bottle, he's about to bottle a Cabernet Franc and a Nebbiolo. Wow. He likes to do a lot of, <laughs> a lot of different wines too. Mm-hmm. That's the, the curse of a winemaker is... Um, more in winemaking, less in marketing. So, but they're all sites that my husband's also a winemaker that he has immediate experience with, and so we know that these are jewel vineyards and jewel wines that need to be made. Um, so that's the driving and decision. The name, and the name of the brand again? Grow. It's G R O. Okay. So, if people want to learn more about that, how can they do that? Uh, I'm sure they can find it on the web. So it's growines.com. Okay. What about, more about your life here in the Napa Valley? You've been here for 15, 16 years. What what have you seen change over the course of time? I'd say the level of competition has gotten more fierce. Um, Again, I think that's not a bad thing because it ultimately benefits the consumer. Um, like I said, Square Grove is very focused on quality and um, that, that that drive to improve and that desire to produce the best wines, I think it's contagious when there's several people mm, shooting for that same goal. So um, that's very inspiring. And because I've been in the industry a long time, I still feel like it's a small industry and that everybody knows each other um so it's uh, you know it definitely has changed but yeah still without remains, looking still remains small and close-knit and and striving for their a-game i mean napa valley has never not been one where people with big dreams come are there particular events that occur in the valley that that you enjoy is there one or two that particular that that stands out like you just you know premiere wasn't too long ago there's auction napa valley there's you know festival napa valley there's there there's so many different events that occur throughout the valley um is there one that you hold close to your heart that you really enjoy I'd say now I'm not so nervous at the events. I enjoy most of them, but I'd have to say that the um, St. Helena Co-op fundraiser, which is coming up here shortly, is um, one of the best. It is the most darling preschool 
in all of Napa Valley. My daughter was lucky enough to get to attend there and um, they put on a, um, a live music um, fundraiser over the last couple of years they've done it. So my husband and I are going in March and it's an amazing time. And, um, you know, if anyone is interested, usually tickets sell out, but, um, you can look for it. It usually happens in March. For you, what makes it so special other than the fact that your daughter went to the school? Um, there's beer, (laughs) (laughs) but it's just a great, that preschool really focuses on community. They focus on giving back and giving back to the community, but creating community and starting at the preschool level. Um, the person that runs it, I think is eighth generation Napa Valley. Um, so it has a lot of multiple ties to the community. And so I think it tends to be like an anchor point in the valley. And I just can't say enough supportive things about them and the, the connections that they form early on in a child's life and then how that extends to the larger community. It's just, um, they do amazing things. So that's the St. Helena Co-op. So one more question about your career, just, and then we're going to wrap it up here with five quick questions. Um, as a winemaker, is, uh, do you have a, a dream or a wish list of something that you want to achieve in the near future? Maybe a, a varietal that you're not making yet, or um, I, you just completed a, a major renovation of your property. Um, but is there something else in the near future that you're hoping to take on? Well, our team goal is 100 points. Right. Um, and so that is definitely a team goal, more so, not so just the points, but kind of the mentality of what it takes to get to 100 points. Right. Um, because the points are one component, I think, of a quality wine and winery. But personal, personally. Yeah, I mean, that, I, that would be a personal goal. I don't know. I mean, life is kind of like you don't get to decide exactly what you want, right? You kind of go with where life is leading you. So as I get older, it's kind of like, where is life leading me to go? And kind of listening to that and then going in that direction. So, But you said you were goal-oriented. I know. The older you get, the more you realize. Yeah, 100 points. Okay, so let's wrap things up with what I like to call five quick questions. The idea here is not to give a lot of thought to it. They're very lighthearted, and I'm trying out some new ones. So. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> so lucky you. Okay, you ready? Yep. The craziest place that you've left your phone Well, I can't even remember where I left my phone regularly, so. (laughs) So so we can't answer that question. Okay, what about this one? The most used app on your phone. So my son plays guitar, so we've been using Guitar Tuna pretty regularly, um, but I'm not a big app person. And then the podcast app would be the other one. Okay. Your favorite artist, music artist? I've been really liking the Bahamas lately. I love Neil Young. Okay, only one. I know. I, I can't decide if that's the best one. I'm just like top of mind. So okay. I'll leave it at that. Um, <laughs> the last piece of candy that you ate? I eat candy every day. So um, chocolate. Okay. <laughs> chocolate bar. And the last question is, who do you call for advice? 
Uh, my parents, my husband, and my best friend, who's a counselor, <laughs> so that's very helpful. Okay, <laughs> she has she likes to work in threes. It seems to be <laughs> Molly. You're amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much for sitting down with us today. Thank you for tuning in to listen and learn about the women featured in our lifestyle books and involved in our business. Share these episodes on your social media platforms so more people can learn about Wine Country Women. Visit our website at winecountrywomen.com to join our list and be the first to learn about exclusive offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new episode of Wine Country Women.